Well, good evening. We've come to the last of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, and I somehow managed to pick up this last one. They're all there, actually, which is quite nice. They're all um, uh, on that um, very nice tapestry at the front. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. I mean, really, I won't say Terry laughed when I told him I was going to preach on self-control, but he did smirk. (laughs) Um, And it's an interesting one, isn't it? It sounds somehow a bit less deep than all the others, you know, love and joy, self-control. You know, it's it's a bit like this, really. Um, Oh, hang on, there we are. Yeah. Um, We had a dog that could do that once. Um, and the amount of self-control that is required in a dog who loves biscuits to put it on his... We used to put it on his paws, actually, um, or on his nose, and there you have self-control. Everything in that very being of dog is wanting to eat the biscuit, and he doesn't, or she doesn't, because he's been told not to. So I'm, I'm not sure how high a view I have of the moral sense of animals, but certainly they do have the capacity for a degree of self-control when they desperately want to do something and they know they shouldn't. Our dog was told he wasn't to go on the furniture. And on the whole, he didn't, unless we were out. And then we would come back and find him with two legs off and two legs on, looking a bit... Um, So self-control is a bit limited. But, you know, I thought about this self-control thing, and I thought of outbursts of anger. I mean, I was a teacher, for goodness sake. I've seen kids out of control. Um, Bad language, violence. I thought of a drunken party, of unseemly behaviour. You know, those awful scenes of... British holidaymakers in Ibiza, you know, that sort of thing. And if you've ever been to a sixth form social before they turned it into a prom and made it decent, um, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, And I thought how right it is that Christians are told not to let the side down. Be self-controlled. Don't do something which the next day you're going to think, oh my goodness, that was just awful. Um, And I let God down. I thought about addiction and criminal self-gratification, those things where people have lost the ability to be self-controlled, whether it's in um, drugs or drink or shopping or gambling. Um, And, of course, for some people, we're talking there about a real illness, so I'm not wanting to knock that because I know that for some people those issues are much bigger than those of self-control. But those were the things that came into my mind, and I thought, how fitting that the work of the Spirit in us should enable us to be people of integrity, measured, not carried away, not making fools of ourselves in a bad way. There is a good way, but we won't talk about that tonight. Not making fools of ourselves in a bad way, not doing things which make us ashamed the next morning, not out of control of our lives, driven along by that sort of, I couldn't help myself, I just had to do it sort of attitude. You've heard me tell this story many times about the sixth form boy who was always late for school, and when I called him into my office, he said, but I don't do mornings, miss. (laughs) He did do mornings. Um, But uh, there's a sense in which there is a part of us that wants to do it our way. And as I looked in scripture, I found a much bigger sense of what it means for us to live as people of self-control. So what is self? 
Let's not knock it. Self that determines what you do is very precious. Yourself, that whole sort of package, which is the person that is uniquely you, is God-given and it's of great worth. Never ever let us undermine the value of the self that God has given us. But like a beautiful car, it needs to be valued with restraint and used for the purpose it was intended. It needs to be driven well. It needs to be driven by someone who really knows what they're doing. And all those fruits of the Spirit are about allowing God to produce in us the kind of humanity, the kind of self which honours God and creates the best version of ourselves that God imagined when he made us. God has a vision of our glory, which is a bit of a backwards version of the vision we have of his. And all of these fruits of the Spirit, although they're about what the Spirit does in us, they're also about the choices that we have and our willingness to let the Holy Spirit control that self which makes choices. There is no love, kindness, gentleness, unless we make the choice to be so. And sometimes that goes against what we're feeling. I don't want to be loving. I'm cross. I don't want to be gentle because I'm angry. I don't want to be self-controlled. I just want to give in to it all. But the Spirit also changes our character. And as we grow from that child that has a tantrum because they can't have another smarty, come across that one? Um, As we grow, we learn there are other things and other people who may modify our self-interest. So we do homework even if we don't want to because that way we can pass exams. We go to work even though tomorrow it's going to be really hot and horrible because otherwise we don't get paid. We obey the law even though we'd really much rather slightly break the speed limit by just a teeny weeny little bit as we go along the M25. We compromise and even obedience or compliance in relationships. You see, at root, we are self-centered. There's no way around it. However long we've been Christians, that self is what drives us. We know what we want, and that need for self-gratification can take over in all the ways that we've just talked about. That's why they're the very things that Paul, Paul warns about. If you look at the passage on the fruits of the Spirit and you look at the bit before, he says these are the things you shouldn't be like because they're self-driven, or to use the old-fashioned Bible word, flesh-driven. Don't be like that. You no longer live in that place where the only thing that determines what you do is the flesh or the self or the self-need. So perhaps it may be that some kind of self-control understood in a spiritual way is at the very heart of Christian living. Who knows, perhaps this last fruit of the Spirit is a core one because it indicates a whole new set of priorities. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So that's what being a Christian is all about. It's about taking the self and allowing God to control it, not so that we no longer have choices. God doesn't want robots. 
but that so that he can gradually make us more able to be the people he wants us to be. So I'm going to say a prayer now before I do the next bit. I'm just going to ask you to be very quiet and close your eyes if it helps. Father, as we look at what it means to look at ourselves in the light of your great love for us and the very high expectations that you have of us, show us tonight those ways in which we could be different. May your Holy Spirit take over ourselves so that we might make wise choices and love you enough to put you before us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is self-control? I've talked about the sort of obvious things, the angry outbursts and the violence and having lost it, as they say. But actually, it might also be wrong thoughts. Do, are we able to control our thought life when it goes into free flow, especially at four o'clock in the morning? I'm not just talking about impure thoughts, which the Bible's very good at talking about, and I'm sure you all know uh, about those. But what about angry and resentful ones? Where you go round and round and round, something that's upset you or hurt you or made you cross. What about anxious and fearful ones? That's me, round and round and round. Are we all going to survive this heat wave where there is danger of death? Um, and these things can come to control us. We are ruled by ourself for good or harm. So do I need to let the Spirit of Christ give me the power over my unhelpful thoughts? Do I need to have a self-controlled inner life? Not just what I do at a party, but what I actually do with my head. Not easy, but you know, we do have some choices. Someone once said, you can't stop the crows landing in the tree, but you can stop them nesting there. And you can stop you can't stop those thoughts of fear and anguish and resentment and uh, doubt coming into your mind, but you can ask God to stop you dwelling on them and to give you an alternative set of thoughts that might actually take you somewhere else. And what's that? Self-control. God-driven, God-enabled self-control. We live in a society where we have a culture of self-realisation. If it feels good, do it. If you're fed up with one relationship and another one looks more appealing, well, let's go for that. Paul's letters are full of encouragement to be different. That lovely phrase in one of his letters, this is not what you learned from Christ. What you learned from Christ is countercultural. It's different. It's self-controlled. It's full of integrity. Hang on, I'll have to go the other way. Interestingly, the, the Greek word for self-control, and there's a, it turns up a lot in the Bible, is egkratera, oh, I could say it yesterday, inner strength. The egg bit is about inner, where we get ego from. It's about me and strength and power. In other words, we are controlling the self, not letting the self control us. And that's very important. Think of the people that you most respect, the people you would go to if you had a problem, the people who you would like to be like. And then think of the opposite, of people whose behaviour lets them down. I just had to. I couldn't help myself. Self-control is measured. It's thinking about what's happening and it's letting godly wisdom be bigger than our desires. 
It's amazing how often in Scripture, I was surprised when I looked it up, how often self-control comes, and it's not just in Galatians 5. For example, in Proverbs in the Old Testament, uh, it says, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who can conquer a city. Because you see, self-control may be harder than conquering a city. It's conquering that inner self that just wants its own way all the time. In 1 Timothy 3.2, the leader, the overseer, is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, hospitable, able to teach. It's funny, isn't it? I've never noticed it among those lists before. Self-control is crucial. There's no point pretending that you're going to lead a family or a home group or a community or a church if there is an element of self which is out of control. It will be sometimes, unfortunately, God forgives us, uh, constantly. But that ability to let our self be denied and the will of God become more important is really hard. Titus 1.8. Rather, this leader must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now that may sound very po-faced, but I know that there are people who are like that and there are the, they are the people I would go to, the people I would trust with my life, the people I would go and talk to about things that trouble me because I know that their integrity is beyond reproach. To give way to uncontrol is unseemly and undermines authority. Particularly, we're told the teacher mustn't be out of control. And I say this as someone who's watched an awful lot of lessons. The teacher who loses control, um, that doesn't mean necessarily that they, you don't always shout. Sometimes you do. But if it's out of control, you've lost it. I'm afraid you've lost the class and probably for the rest of the year. <laughs> because that sense of being in control. I have to say, when I was um, in, a, in the business of shouting at very large children sometimes, um, I would be in a situation where I knew I was going to have an interview with, a, with a, perhaps a sixth former or a, or a year 10, and I was gonna, they were going to have to know that this wasn't just a bit angry, this was really, really angry. And I used to warn my colleagues in the adjacent offices and say, I'm going to shout at about 10 o'clock. <laughs> um, because it shouldn't be out of control. What we do, how we deal with, even how we deal with relationships and how we choose to have a difficult discussion with someone, where we quite rightly express our hurt, our feelings, our need to express ourselves, but it should be done in a controlled way, which is full of integrity and is preceded by prayer. In the Bible, it says, anger must not lead us into sin. So what does this mean for us? Just a few little quick thoughts. Firstly, speech. We had that lovely reading from James. I wonder where we are most likely to be out of control, and I suspect that for many of us it's in what we say. The snappy retort, the word of criticism that actually probably wasn't necessary, the, the thing which, which puts down rather than builds up. James says if you can control your tongue, you can control everything. So let's start as we put our lives under God's control, saying, God, be in my mouth and in my speaking. And let what I say be godly, not what comes just from myself. And then there's thoughts. We talked about that. Things that we think about. 
Are we willing tonight to say, Lord, you know that I'm going to be dwelling on this. Please take it from me and enable my thoughts to be governed and softened and tempered by the love that you have for me. And what about our choices and priorities? Do we just make choices what to buy, where to go, what to do, because I fancy it? Or are we willing to say to God, in everything that I do in my work life, my family life, my financial life, I want to express myself through you, through your love, through your spirit, so that the essential me is somehow contained within a package of integrity which mirrors what you most want for me. The choices that Jesus made, we saw in that reading from Matthew 4. He had lots of choices and he could have made very different ones. He could so easily have justified to himself turning stones into bread. Why not? There was no one to see and he was hungry. But it was wrong because that wasn't how God wanted him to use the power that he'd been given. He could have made a spectacular demonstration by jumping off the temple to win people to his cause, but that wasn't the kind of winning people to himself that the Father had sent him to do. And as Satan was now making clear, to go that worldly route might have seemed desirable, but it was against everything that was in Scripture and all that Jesus knew he was called to be. Do we make choices just on what feels good to us, but maybe a compromise in what we know is right? And then just another quick one, our spiritual lives. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to his disciples, couldn't you just watch with me for one hour? And they fell asleep. Well, yes, it may be they couldn't help it, but I just wonder if that was the case, why Jesus said to them, why couldn't you just watch with me for one hour? It takes a lot of time to choose, a lot of self-control to choose time with God over other things, as Philippa was just saying to us. Do we need more self-control in choosing to be more spiritual in our use of time? Our time spent on screens or watching TV? Are our choices God-driven or just what we happen to fancy? And what about the integrity of our life, our thoughtfulness? our wisdom. For example, you're chatting to some people and self says, tell your story, it's really interesting. Tell people what you've got to tell them because I'm sure they want to hear. Perhaps self-control says, let's listen and see what other people's stories are and whether we can give them the blessing of a listening ear and a really attentive mind. Balance self-expression with God-given restraint I think that's what self-control means. When I was about 14, um, I was at secondary school. I was, had just become a Christian. And my head teacher died, very sadly, over a half term. And we all had to go to the funeral. It was at a very sort of uh, high church in Wanstead, not far. I went to school in Wanstead, you know, not far from Woodford. And, um, and this was uh, at uh, the parish church in Wanstead. And the, the school choir had to sing... A very short, but very simple, and for us very well-known little hymn. And I've had it in my mind all this week, because although it's so old that Tim hadn't even heard of it, uh, Tom hadn't even heard of it, uh, but actually, you might have done if you're nearly as old as me, um, it's about God being in my head and my thinking, my eyes and my looking, my mouth and my speaking, 
my heart and my feeling. And it's old, so we don't sing it anymore. But I'm gonna, you're going to have to listen to it, because I've put it on a, on a thingy. Well, there you go. Philippa wants to sing it. Those are the words. And I'm told if I click it again, you'll get the music. God be in my head and in my understanding. You know, we sing a hymn which says, give me wisdom to see things like you do. God be in my, my eyes and in my looking. Let me see what you want me to see. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. Don't let me give hurtful words a place. God be in my heart and in my thinking, my decision-making, the way in which I am. God be at my end and at my departing. Because at that point, I will know the fullness of the presence of the Spirit of God in my life. let's just pray for a moment. Lord, thank you for ourself, that person that is especially each one of us, that you know by name, that you know, knew before we were even born, that you love and treasure. Forgive us, Lord, that so often the self that you want us to be is spoilt because we are led by our own self-will. Show us how to use the choices that you make available to us and the freedom that you've given us in a way which is sanctified by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, fall upon us tonight and make us different. Make us more the people that you want us to be, expressing your truth and being willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you. For Jesus' sake. Amen.